this is week two, as Ebony said, of our conversations series, and thank you for coming back. Uh, we had a heavy conversation last week, and um, you know, I, I'm sure some things were said, especially in the second part of that message, and I kind of acknowledged that when I was talking about it. You know, the first part of the message, we're dig- digging into the scriptures, and we should be diverse community and all those kind of things, but then you get the second part of the message, it's like, I may have said some stuff you disagree with, and guess what? You do not have to agree with me in order to be a member of this church or participate in this church. I mean, it's, it's perfectly okay because I have people, I've had folks that have said, oh, man, that was so good. I agree with everything you said. And I've had other folks go, I'm still trying to process some of that. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what I think there. And that's great. I mean, that's, Andy and I will get into that just a little bit. But Ebony and I will get into a bunch of that next week. But, I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be, this is a safe place to to disagree and to have our own opinions and to, and to process these things and talk about these things. The whole idea and the reason I did this series in a conversation style is that so we can process these topics together because these are values that are important to us as a church and it's, we process them better in community than we do by ourselves, especially this one we're going to talk about today. So uh, today, my conversation partner is not a member of our staff. You're the only non-staff member participating in this series, Andy. So I don't know, you know how you got that honor. But uh, he's, he's been here for a long time. He's a long-time member here. Uh, he's served as an elder here at this church. Uh, he's preached for me before. But when I talk about emotional health, he's usually my, one of my go-tos. He's, he's usually who I'll reach out to and say, hey, what do you think about this? So I've run a bunch of sermon topics by him and sermon ideas and you've helped us through some crisis situations and things like that um but i want you not everybody knows you here even though you've been here longer than most of us but uh can you introduce yourself real quick just to everybody just your past association with murray hills but also maybe some of your background and experience in this area so yeah absolutely um listen after you after you hear me talk today it's probably gonna you're gonna understand why i'm not on staff but um (laughs) no um I, my wife and I have been at Murray Hills for, let me think, Jackson is 19, so about 19 years now. Um, we used to meet in the building where the Mule House is now. Um, it's been a long time. Uh, my background, uh, I have spent 22 years working in the mental health field, um, most of that being in kind of crisis management, suicide prevention, and I currently work uh, for the Tennessee Department of Mental Health. I'm an assistant director in the Office of Crisis Services there. Um, I just have a real passion. I always get excited when Russ and I can have these conversations. Um, church should be a safe place, and that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're also going to talk about the fact that church hasn't always been a safe place. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, just really, really grateful to be a part of a congregation that is willing to have these conversations. Yeah. Well, thank you for participating. And I, I did not even introduce the topic, which we kind of been talking all around it. But uh, one of our values as a church is a safe place. And we define that as a safe place to be real, vulnerable, and honest. And we're primarily talking about emotional health and mental health when we, when we talk about that value. And uh, I'm gonna, I want to ask you a question. But I'm going to answer it first. So in typical pastor fashion. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to answer it. Um, but I, w- I want you to answer it. But I-, I want to give a little bit of history and context for people as to kind of how this value came about at Murray Hills. And then I want you to answer it. The question is, why should emotional health be a value for a church? Or why, why should having a safe place be a value for a church? And I just want to give a little bit of history as to how it came about. 
this one's kind of like diversity. It wasn't always a value for us as a church. In, in the original draft, you know, 19 years ago, this was not a value. We used the same language. The elders were talking about wanting Murray Hills to be a safe place before I even came on staff. So, I mean, we've, for, since the beginning of this church, we've talked about this being a safe place. But what we meant by that was it's a safe place to kind of, you know, explore faith. It's a safe place to have theological differences. It's a safe place to have denominational differences. Like, and churches have not always been that. So, the, like, this is a safe place to ask questions, to ask hard questions, to, to wrestle with doubt, to explore faith, to, you know, to ask questions about the Bible. This is a safe place to do this. But in 2015, we kind of expanded our understanding of what that meant to be a safe place. And it happened through a series uh, called Beneath the Surface. And Beneath the Surface was, it was built on this analogy uh, from World War II where there were these mines that were placed in the shipping lanes. And, you know, you look, and on the surface, everything is great. It's smooth sailing. But underneath the surface, there are these mines that have the ability to sink the ship. And so we, we talked about it from, you know, like on, on the surface, everybody comes to church and it's, you know, happy life, happy family, you know, every, everything looks perfect. But underneath the surface, we don't know what people are carrying. And we talked about um, brokenness and infidelity and abuse, um, emotional, verbal, and, and physical. We talked about anxiety. We talked about depression. Um, we talked about all these things that, you know, are kind of lurking beneath the surface, uh, we talked about addiction, you know, so, and, and in that series, some series are just kind of trajectory changing for us as a church, and I never know which ones it's going to be, because it's up to God, not me, but I mean, that, that series kind of changed the, the trajectory of this church, because at the end, if you remember, I, I had my brother come, who's also in the mental health space, and he gave him a message on how to, how to get help or help someone you love. And in the message, and I didn't know he was going to do this, but he just talked about his own struggle with depression in the message. And then we, we kind of opened it up for prayer at the end, and there was like 100 people came. And, and people were like, if this is finally feels safe for me to say I struggle with depression or I struggle with anxiety because they felt like they couldn't admit that in church. And um, it just really opened my eyes to like this this is something we need to make. This needs to be a value of the church. This is something that we need to, to lean into just a little bit more. And so that's kind of how it came about. Um, from your perspective, both you know, professionally, personally, even biblically, why should emotional health be a value for the church? Because as you said earlier, it's not always. So why should it be? Well, I think, um, I, I guess I would throw it back, why shouldn't it be? You know, we're, we're all... If you are struggling, if you are going through uh, kind of the hard stuff that life can throw at us, guess what? You're human. We all do that. Um, it is, uh, it feels incredibly lonely to feel that we are going through something alone. And the place that we should be able to come and really just kind of lay it all out there, um, if we're not able to do that, if we don't feel safe to do that, um, it just when I think of when I think of spiritual or emotional pain, um, both of those thrive in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, they they thrive on us feeling that no one understands. They thrive on uh, really us feeling that we can't talk to someone. Um, and of all places, I think you know church has to be the place that we can do that because we have such a strong connection to a faith community. 
Um, but we have to have connection to folks who are always going to uh, point us back to God. Yeah, and, and I love the way you reframe that. You know, why shouldn't it be? The church, church should be the safest place to do that. And it, it hasn't been. It's like that's the, that's, it's, church is the place that we feel like I got to be put together in order to come. And it's, it, it flips. That's the opposite of what we read about in Scripture. Um, and I want to talk, you know, when we were kind of the, writing these has been such an incredible thing. These doing these conversations because we do it through Google Docs and we're both, you know, here's my thoughts, here's your thoughts. And we're kind of kind of laying that out. You mentioned, because I said, well, what biblically, like, where do we get this foundation? And you mentioned the story of the prodigal son. Why do you think that applies to this value? So in the story of the prodigal son, and I'll read a few verses here in just a minute. Um, you know, you have two sons, uh, one that does everything, and I'm going to put up quotes here, right. Mm -hmm. And then one that maybe life kind of goes off the rails for him for a while, uh, which happens to all of us sometimes. Uh, sometimes we end up in a situation that we think, how in the world did I end up here? Yeah. Um, well, his reaction, the, the son who had kind of gotten himself into trouble, was to go home, go home to his dad. And I think that is such a beautiful, hang on one second, let me pull it up here. You know, when, let me get to the right verse. It says, so he, he got up and he went to his father. Uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Um, the older son, uh, the one who had kind of done things right in life, um, was in the field. When he heard what was going on, uh, he asked one of the servants, and he was told his brother has come home and your father is having a celebration. Um, the other brother got angry and refused to go in. Um, his father went out to him. And he said, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When you and I first started talking about this conversation, that was the first thing that kind of came to mind for me. Mm -hmm. uh, we, need to be all, we need to be giving reactions to people like the Father gave the Son. That's, that's what's offered to us. You know, Christ offers that to us. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it really comes into play sometimes when, when we have someone who struggles with something that we feel is a bad choice they've made in their life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that our, our natural reaction sometimes is to be uh, judgmental or critical, um, mm -hmm. and that's not helpful. Yeah, because we go into the, uh, well, you brought this on yourself. Yep. That's, that's kind of our mindset. It was like, well, this, you're reaping what you sowed kind of thing. And, and you mentioned, and that, that kind of answers the question. We're going to get into barriers in just a minute. But I, as you're reading the story, I'm thinking the older brothers have influenced the church more than the loving father. And isn't that backwards? I mean, like that's, I mean, 
that this is a story, the story of the prodigal son is a story told by Jesus about how God wants us to see him. And so many of us see God as, as judgmental and condemning and, you know, he's got his arms folded and, you know, I told you this was going to happen. You, know, you shouldn't have done that. And this story, the prodigal son flips that. He wants to be seen as a loving father rather than an older brother. And, and many people in the church have experienced uh, way more older brothers than loving fathers. And so it's, it's our job, to, to, part of creating a safe place is that we want to take on the heart of the Father. We want to take on the, the, the heart of receiving with, with mercy and compassion and, and welcome. And um, some other verses that I want to hit real quick, because it's always important, you know, when you start talking about emotional health, uh, there's, and we'll get into this a little bit later too, there, there are people that always want to say, well, no, we need to be talking about spiritual stuff. Why aren't we talking about spiritual stuff? Why, you know, what, you're talking about emotional stuff. Let's talk about spiritual stuff. And I think over the last few years, it, I've come to realize like that those things are, are closely connected. Uh, we're going to talk about that. You know, but I mean, th- those are closely connected. And there's a couple of verses that have helped me see uh, this value. I want to share just, just two of them. One of them is 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, this one is, is, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not implying with using this passage that all emotional health issues are sin. Um, but I think the gist of the passage is be honest with yourself. The, you, you can't get help until you're honest with yourself. And I think you were saying that earlier. I thought of that. There's a, quest, a saying in recovery about you're only as sick as your secrets. And, um, you know, like the first step is admitting that you're powerless over this. And in addiction, if you're doing the 12-step program, you've got to admit that you're powerless over this. Um, because you can't get help while you're as long as you're pretending that everything's fine and I'm okay and I've got it all put together, you can't get help. It's until you're honest with yourself that I need help. And then the other part of this verse is that, that God stands ready to give that help. He is our advocate. So uh, I think sometimes we've made it out in church where it's a sin to struggle. You know, like we, we felt like I can't confess that in this church. I can't confess that in this community. But uh, we can't get help until we confess that. Until, and it's first a confession to ourselves and then it's a confession to somebody else to say, hey, I need help. I, I need some help here. And usually, and I, can I ask you this question? This is not in our notes. That's, who should we confess that to? Okay, so I, I, let's say I'm struggling. I'm struggling with an overwhelming amount of anxiety. And I finally come to the realization myself that this is, you know, I've got a, I've got a problem that I need to deal with. I don't know what to do, or my emotions are, you know, running out of control or whatever. But, but I'm scared to confess it to somebody in the church because I'm scared I'm going to confess it to an older brother. Who should I confess it to? Yeah, so I, when I think of that question, I think there are a couple directions we can go. Um, if, if we know somebody in church who maybe has knowledge of what we might need to get some help, um, that's always a good option. Uh, but I think it just underscores the importance of community. There are a lot of people in this room um, standing up here and saying what you're struggling with 
is probably not the best option. Maybe, you know, it wouldn't be yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, but having close connections with people, you know, that is, that is so important. Mm -hmm. um, having someone that we've already kind of created that safe place. And I said earlier, I work a lot in crisis services, um, spend a lot of time talking through kind of crisis management plans with people. The worst time to come up with a plan is right in the middle of when you need it. So having that support network, those people that you can talk to regardless of what's going on in life, that is, that is key. And it doesn't mean that someone's just going to give you a free pass because sometimes we do make dumb choices, you know. Um, but it's someone who's always going to love you through it, mm -hmm. and it's someone who's always going to lead you in the direction of Christ. Yeah. And, and, and you're talking about when we're in the middle of the storm, we don't tend to think clearly either whether that storm was brought on by our own issues or it's brought on just extenuating circumstances that that's the the most difficult part is we, we don't we're not thinking clearly ourselves and so i like what you said about having a plan in advance yeah. Listen, uh, it's always good to have go-to people in our lives you know yeah um i do that with my car if i have trouble with my car i know who i'm going to take it to yeah you know so i need to know yeah. if if things are falling apart in my life who am i going to go to mm-hmm and that's, uh, that's the other reason I think community is so important is because we've said this a lot with our children's ministry. I want to have people in their lives who are saying the same thing as me. So as my kids grow up, I want to have people in their lives who, are, who I know that I can trust those folks. And if, if my daughters don't feel that they can come to me, and usually you've got teen, teenage kids too, usually in that age they don't feel like they can come to their parents. I want them to have other adults in their life that I trust that they're going to get good solid advice from those and those people are safe for them to go to. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I think about where else in our lives are we surrounded with so many people that, for the most part, share the same values that we do. Yeah. You know, it's not at work, not for me anyways. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, but these are our people, and we need to be able to come to our people. Yeah, so. yeah. Let me, uh, one other verse. And I'm, I'm, I'm already asking you questions that were not in the notes, but um, I just, as you talk, I keep thinking of stuff. Um, there's one of the places in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I've always found this to be powerful as it relates to emotional health and creating a safe place for people. This is Paul talking that says, uh, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think Paul flips the narrative around because we, we assume that, you know, when I've got it all together, that's when I'm strong. You know, and, and Paul says... And we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. We have no idea what his struggle was. But what Paul is confessing is there is a struggle in my life, and I, I beg God to take it away from me. And God's answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, my power is made perfect in weakness. And I think when, when we try to do it ourselves, we, we try to project this image of like, I have no struggles, I'm perfect, you know, everything's great. Uh, we think that we're doing God a favor. As Christians, like I'm showing you that if you'll just follow God's way, it's so much better than man's way. And look at, you know, look at God. But it, that's really about look at me. And what God is telling us is when, when God does his best work is in our brokenness and in our weakness. When we are able to confess that that is when God is saying to us, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace can sustain you. Um, 
in the Psalms, you know, this is all throughout the Psalms, that God is close to the brokenhearted. That, um, you know, Jesus says, a bruised reed he will not break. You know, so this is, this is at the heart of who God is, and he wants to rescue us. And that's one of the, like, when you talk about emotional health, um, the reason I, I see it as connected spiritually is because you see it, like, through the Psalms, they're, they're, all human emotions are expressed through the Psalms. And the most powerful Psalms are Psalms of lament that say, honestly, I'm sinking. I don't know what's going to happen. God, please rescue me. Why are my enemies winning? Why does it seem like everything's going terrible in my life? But I still trust in you. You're still God. I still believe in you. I mean, it's the, the Psalms of lament are honest expressions of the human heart. That And honest expressions of the human heart are faith and doubt. You know, you see that intertwined in both of those. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I see. You know, he's expressing this deep emotion, this anxiousness. And it almost makes us feel weird to say, well, can I say Jesus was worried? But I mean, he's expressing this deep anxiousness about take this cup from me, but yet I'll still do your will. I'll still do your, and it's, a, it's like a psalm of lament even in the gospels. But let me, let me ask you kind of what that looks like. And you've talked a little bit about that already, but when we talk about being a safe place, I want to be that for people. Like when we're talking about a safe place for people to c- confess brokenness or weakness or that, I, I want to be that for people. And I know other people in here want to be that. What does it look like? How do we... How do we live out that value in our lives and in our communities? Yeah, well, the, the good thing is if, if we want to live out this value uh, in, in our lives, in our, in our church, uh, it doesn't mean we have to be a therapist. Okay. Um, I look out, my friend Renee is sitting right out here, and uh, Renee is one of the most skilled therapists I've ever known. Um, we don't all have to be that. It, we can just listen. Um, we can, people tend to open up when they feel safe, when they feel heard, when they feel valued. Um, You know, one of the things you and I've talked about a lot over the years when we're talking anything emotional health, um, struggle is not something that, you know, we're going to pray away. Um, Prayer is a powerful tool, and I encourage all of us to use it on a regular basis, um, but it's okay to struggle and to need additional help. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to be encouraging. We need to be... um, really get invested in each other's lives. You know, I see a lot of people every, every day, Sunday when we come here, um, and it's that kind of surface, how's it going? Yeah, you know, sure. we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Um, but we need to make sure that we have a circle of people that we really go further than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about our small group. Um, I'm in a couple of groups. I'm in a men's group on Wednesday night. Uh, Aaron and I are in a group with some other couples on Sunday evening. Um, we talk a lot about the lesson um, most of the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, but we talk a lot about life. We talk about what a struggle it is to, you know, on Wednesday nights, we talk about a struggle it is to, to be a guy. On Sunday nights, we talk about parenting and marriages and schedules, busy schedules, all those things. Yeah. Um, but it's really just getting to know, getting invested in those individuals' lives. Uh, those are the people that are going to tend to be easier to reach out mm-hmm. to. And that's the thing with small groups that I've noticed, you know, we, we do every two, every other week. So, you know, there's been two weeks. And this last time we did people's tables, so there was a month. And so if you open with, well, let's catch up, you know, what, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Sometimes you never get to the discussion that Tim gave you. It's like, we never got to the discussion. We never, you know, we're supposed to get in there and study the Bible. But you're doing ministry in that context, too, because you're, you're, you're getting to know each other and you're learning each other. And you're learning 
who's safe. I mean, that you're, you're, you're learning like this. This is safe. I can say this in this context. I can say this to these people. Um, let me ask you this, though, because I'm not a counselor, and, that, and I get real uncomfortable sometimes. People will, and of course, I'm a pastor, and so people, you know, assume pastor, counselor, those things are kind of similar, right? People can say stuff to me that I don't, I have no idea what to say in response or even what to do. <laughs> like, what, what do you, like, how do I do that? Is it not being professionally trained and somebody comes to me and says, you know, I, I'm depressed or texts me and says I'm depressed, what do I do? How do I, how do I deal with that? Well, I think the, the easiest tool that we have is just to listen. Let them talk. Mm-hmm. Um, let them explain uh, what's, what's going on. Um, if, you know, if it's ever in a case where someone, you know, we're questioning if someone is safe, you know, um, and specifically, I'll I'll just briefly mention, you know, any thoughts of harm to self or others or any kind of, you know, child abuse, anything like that. Um, those are, those are the cases that I would, you know, probably break that confidentiality and reach out to get some emergency help. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather have somebody here and mad at me than not, um, you know, if, if there was a bad outcome. Um, but I, I really think just, we just listen to people. Again, going back to, uh, we want people to feel heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if someone is questioning uh, what resources are available. Um, I know we're going to go over that here in just a bit, but you can always reach out to the church here. I mean, you and I talk a lot about what yeah. resources are available in the community. Um, but I, I do want to make one other point. You were asking about what it's like to, to kind of live that out. Um, I think when, when, we are get, when we are getting invested in someone's life, when we are reaching out to someone that maybe we know is struggling, um, I would just encourage you to check your heart. Are you, are you reaching out for the right reason? Are you reaching out? Um, usually people reach out for one or two reasons. Uh, it's to truly help. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to truly understand what's going on. Or it is more gossipy in nature. And if it's that, I would yeah. point them in another direction. Yeah, Con- true confessions here. Uh, they, you know, we did... We do prayer requests at Rotary. I'm in Rotary. And somebody mentioned a name that I knew. And like, pray for so-and-so. And my immediate thing was, I want to go over there and ask him what's going on. You know, like, it's, <laughs> like I, w- I want to know what's going on. And so we do have to kind of check the heart that I'm not, if somebody posts something on Facebook, I'm not, I'm not reaching out just because I'm nosy. I'm reaching out because I want to help. And, and that's one of the barriers. I want to talk through that just a little bit and ask you that question. Like, for a church to be a safe place. You started the whole conversation with the church to be the safest place of all. And yet there's a lot of people sitting in this room who are like, it has not been safe for me. You know, it's, and I'm dealing with the pain and hurt of judgment of other church people or shame that's been put on me or that. What are the, what are the barriers do you think are in place that keeps churches from being safe places? What are some of those barriers? Yeah, well, I think you just mentioned it, feeling very judged. Um, you know, usually if someone has, you know, if their life is in a bad place, uh, we don't have to beat them over the head with that. They know it better than anybody. Um, and, you know, just, again, struggles are not a matter of a lack of faith. So if we are making someone whose life is in a, a really bad position feel that they are, you know, they don't have the connection to the church. They don't have a relationship with God like they should. Uh, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Not, not in that moment. It's not. We can always 
um, we can always work on, you know, studying the Bible together. Um, but, but we really need to provide that, that environment that feels safe to open up yeah. um, and not, not a judgmental environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, and I think that's been the answer sometimes, unfortunately, from spiritual leaders is if you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with, with anxiety, use that as an example, it, it's very easy for spiritual leaders to say, well, Jesus says don't worry. So if you're worrying, then you're not really following Jesus, or you really don't have enough faith in Jesus. Don't you, don't you trust God? And, they, and, the, and you're saying those things are not helpful because they're already struggling with that. No, they're not helpful. I mean, you know, is there a point in our lives that, that yes, we, we should always be turning things over to God? You know, I had a little bit of anxiety getting up here today. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that impacts my relationship with God, you know. Um, but I... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think we really have to create that environment of making it safe. And I, I think we should avoid feeling that we would never be in that situation ourselves. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has or is raising children, uh, never is a bad word, okay? Because your kid will never like never before if when you start thinking that. Yep, yes. Uh, and, I, you know, a lot of people, in my experience, I've been in church my whole life. A lot of people's uh, theology and empathy changes when they go through it themselves. So it's, it's real easy to be judgmental, like addiction. It's, it, you know, I see Ricky's on the front row here, and he's going to talk Hope Center in just a minute. It's real easy to be judgmental about that until it affects you or your family. And then all of a sudden, you got this whole new empathy, like, wow. And, and I see that happen all the time in church. It'd be nice if, we, if that could happen before, if it didn't take a crisis for that to happen. And we could just, you know, we give people the benefit of the doubt and have empathy and compassion for the situation that they are in instead of, instead of judging that. Yeah, I mean, how cool would it be if when, when things do get in a tough situation like that, whether it's addiction or, or mental health struggles, um, that we didn't feel that we had to kind of retreat, yeah. you know, that we should be able to come here and, and feel all the love, all the support. Um, that, that would be a really great thing. Yeah. I got two more questions for you, because I want you to react to this quote. This is from uh, Peter Scazzaro in the, in the Emotionally Healthy Church. He says, sadly for too long we have delegated emotional issues to the therapist's office and taken responsibility only for the spiritual problems in the church. The two are inseparably linked and critical to full biblical discipleship. And then he adds this, and this is the quote that's always rambled around in my head. It's not possible to be, for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Can you react to that just a little bit or anything you would add to that? Yeah, I, th I think um, not possible. And I've got that quote written, written here in front of me. Not possible, that's pretty strong wording. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't think he's, he's not entirely wrong. Um, I, I think that um, when we are at a place of being completely broken emotionally, it is incredibly difficult for us to show the love of Christ to others mm -hmm. because we, it's kind of like uh, I, I look at it as pouring from trying to pour from an empty cup. Yeah. There are times that we just don't have anything else to give. Mm -hmm. um, does that make us, you know, spiritually immature? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I think it makes it very difficult to uh, spiritually have the connections that we need to. Mm -hmm. um, and likewise, I think if we're going through a tremendous crisis in our faith, 
uh, it's hard to not let that impact your emotional health. Yeah. So. And, and so can you talk that balance of like how do we, is emotional, that's reserved for counseling and spiritual is reserved for church? You know, can those two things go together? I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think they have to go together. Um, now, there, there are people that will reach out to me, you know, wanting a, a counseling resource, and they want someone that is uh, spiritually based, faith-based. Yeah. Uh, and then, likewise, there are people that they want to keep maybe a little bit of separation there. And I think all of that's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, God provides us a lot of helping professionals um, with a wide a range of skills based on what our needs are. Yeah. It's very similar to when you put it in the physical doctor sense, it starts to make sense. If I get sick, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help me, especially if it's a very serious sickness. You know, I'm, I'm going to pray and ask God to heal and help me and help me walk through this. I'm also going to go to my medical doctor for his, prof his or her professional uh, training and medicine and those things i'm gonna and so it, it really shouldn't be the same with our mental health either i'm, I'm gonna pray and i'm gonna ask god to deliver and help me and all but i'm also gonna go see a professional that has been trained to help process these things so yeah, and i think it's the same in the community that we surround ourselves with we want to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with folks spiritually who are going to point yeah. us in the right direction too yeah well, let me ask you this last question how do i either get help or help someone i love what What's the step? Steps, yeah. I should say. Steps. Um, you know, one, one resource that, that is available, um, and it's available anytime, there's zero cost attached to it, uh, is 988. Um, 988 is a, it's a national number, um, but there are providers across the entire state of Tennessee. Um, you can call, you can text, you can chat online um, and be connected with a counselor. You can text it. You can text it. Okay. Wow. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. You just punch in 988 and hit send, and it'll connect you with and a counselor. And this is for anything. If I'm struggling with anything, I can text. Yeah. And ask. I mean, you you could be the person struggling. You could be trying to get resources for someone mm -hmm. who's struggling. Uh, they can help with all of that. Okay. Wow. Um, cool. And then, you know, obviously, if, if someone is looking for, um, you know, more of a um, counselor, therapist, that kind of thing, uh, they can always reach out to the church here. Mm-hmm. Well. We, one of the blessings of Murray Hills, we have a lot of counselors that are part of this church. And, so, and I always ask people when they, when they are saying, I'm looking for a counselor, do you want somebody that goes to church with you or do you want somebody that's totally – and that, that, cause some people are like, I don't want anybody that I'm going to see on Sunday. And I totally understand that. But what I'll do is I'll end up texting somebody, like I've texted you before, like, hey, I got somebody struggling with this, this. Who do you know? And you'll send me resources. Or you mentioned Renee earlier. Renee's, I do that to Renee all the time, right? Who, you know, I got somebody struggling with this. Who do you know? And they'll send me resources too. So that's a, that's a great way. The thing is, just don't be afraid to ask for help. I had no idea that that 988 was as expansive as it was. And, and just don't be afraid to say, hey, who can I talk to? Where can I get some help? Yeah. Um, like we expected, we run out of time. But uh, would you guys say thank you to Andy real quick? for coming um I, I do have three resources i'll mention briefly and then ricky's got a brief announcement for us too but uh for a biblical foundation of this i mentioned pete, pete schizero he's got a book called the emotionally healthy church if you want to like biblically know how this kind of lines out and how it fits into discipleship of jesus um i got Brene brown's book up here because she's that's not from written from necessarily a christian perspective but she's taught me a whole lot about 
honesty and vulnerability and those things. And um, then I got the 12-step book up here. I got the blue book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The 12 steps are really biblically based. I mean, every one of them are rooted in Scripture. 